I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning. Take those Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Working through this series on the Beatitudes. It's eight statements that Jesus makes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Really, this is kind of the beginning of his ministry here. Um, in, in which he's letting people know how they can be happy, um, how they can find fulfillment in life. Today we get to verse 8, which says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, as we've been working through these Beatitudes, there's this progressive flow that's taking place, okay? Um, Jesus is teaching the people about true happiness and fulfillment in life. What does it take to find satisfaction? Not once in this whole thing does he mention possessions. Um, he doesn't, <clears throat> excuse me, doesn't mention accomplishments. <clears throat> excuse me. He doesn't mention uh, fancy chariots because you know they didn't have fancy cars back then. Um, he doesn't mention big houses. He doesn't talk about any of those things. Uh, as he's talking, Jesus is showing people that happiness is not found in what you can own or what you can achieve It's dependent on God's blessings on you. God pours out his blessing of happiness on us. Happiness isn't based on current circumstances. So whatever you're going through in this moment, um, is that going to determine whether you're happy or not? Well, no. Happiness is something that lives deep within a believer, and God is its provider, and God is its sustainer. If you want to be truly happy in this life and have fulfillment in the life to come even, not only in this life, but the life to come, then find it in God's way. And God's way for happiness is outlined right here in these Beatitudes from Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who deeply mourn their sin. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are merciful. We talked about that two weeks ago, then Pastor Rick followed up with it last week uh, as we talked about blessed are the merciful. This is what it looks like to live a joy-filled, happy life. Now, in the Old Testament, actually, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, as I kind of introduced this, but there's a guy by the name of Solomon, and you've probably heard of Solomon before. He was the wisest, the richest man who ever lived. He was the king of Israel. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which, by the way, Ecclesiastes itself just very simply means book of wisdom, okay? So Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom. So as we look at Ecclesiastes, what does this all-wise person have to say about life? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what he says. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. Now what pleasure is he talking about? We've got to remember he is the richest person in the world. So he's talking about money, okay? He had more money than anybody else. He's also talking about women. He had 700 wives and concubines. And you would think that at least one of them would make him happy, wouldn't you? But they don't. It's vanity, he says. He's talking about wisdom. He's talking about knowledge. He's the smartest guy in the world. People come from all over the world just to hear and gain from his knowledge, his wisdom. So if you talk about pleasure, Solomon had all the pleasure that he could ever want right there at his fingertips. But he ends verse 1 by saying that it's all vanity. It's all nothing. Jump down to verse 10. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. In other words, I love my work. But anything Solomon wanted, Solomon got, including work. He could work all he wanted to, 
Verse 11. But then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. If money and riches and fame were truly the key to success and happiness, then Solomon would have been happy, but he wasn't. All right, let's, let's take that to our world here for a moment, okay? If money and riches and fame were truly the, the key to success and to happiness, then don't you think that Hollywood would be one of the happiest places on earth? But it's not, is it? In fact, marriages are shorter in Hollywood than anywhere else. Per capita, you have more people entering into rehab for drugs and alcohol usage than anywhere else in the world. So if these things that we can gather up in our lives, if those things are not getting us happiness, what is it that's going to get us happiness? And that's what Jesus talks about here. He outlines, here is what it takes for you to find fulfillment and find life. It's not going to be found in the things that you own or the things that you can do, even in the case of Solomon here. It's not going to be found in those things. It's going to be found in this, these Beatitudes. That's what we're working through. Solomon was looking for happiness in all the wrong places. But you know, he's not alone in that. The people, as Jesus is approaching this time of teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to a whole lot of people who had a long line of trying to find happiness. So let's talk about the historical context of, of where Jesus is at here for a moment, okay? At the time of Jesus, when he comes on the scene, all of Israel is under Roman rule. Every, every bit of it. They are under the oppressive hand of, of Rome. They had been anticipating a Messiah who would come and usher in a new kingdom, they thought it was going to be a new political kingdom, but God had different plans. You see, God knew that for mankind to be truly happy, that they had to find their salvation, or excuse me, their satisfaction in Him. The only way to be satisfied in God is through a pure heart. It doesn't come through your possessions. It doesn't come through family. It, it comes only through satisfaction in God. And the satisfaction in God can only come through a pure heart. Now, in the Old Testament, the way to a pure heart came through adhering to God's requirement for holiness and purity. You see, when a person is in sin, they're not pure, they're not holy before God, so that sin has to be atoned for. The price has to be paid for the sin. But the penalty for sin is death. So something or someone has to die in order for sin to be paid for. In the Old Testament, what they would do is they would take a, an animal. It was a, a, a blameless animal an innocent animal. It had no blemishes. It was perfect. And they would sacrifice that animal and that animal's blood would cover up their sin and make them right before God. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. There's a pastor and author, he's a professor by the name of Kevin DeYoung who wrote a book um, several years ago entitled The Whole in Our Holiness. And in this book, one of the things he talks about is how important holiness is to God. He says, there's no question holiness is one of the central themes in the Bible. The word holy occurs more than 600 times in the Bible, more than 700 when you include derivative words like holiness, sanctify, and sanctification. You cannot make sense of the Bible without understanding that God is holy and that this holy God is intent on making a holy people to live with him forever in a holy heaven. He continues on, the whole system of Israel's worship revolves around holiness. That's why you have a holy people, the priest. 
with holy clothes in a holy land, Canaan, at a holy place, the tabernacle or temple, using holy utensils and holy objects, celebrating holy days, living by a holy law so that they may be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Everything about worshiping God and a right relationship with God in the Old Testament was all about holiness. You had to be holy to have a right relationship with God. And it hasn't changed at all in the New Testament at all. Now, why in the world is there this, this, this emphasis on holiness from God? Why is it so important for holiness to be a part of, of our lives? 1 John chapter 3, verse 5 makes it clear that there is no sin in God. No sin whatsoever. Over and over again, all throughout Scripture, God is described as holy. In fact, the only description of God that is repeated multiple times at once is found in Isaiah chapter 6 and in Revelation chapter 4. You know what those words are? It's holy, holy, holy. And what happens for Isaiah there in Isaiah chapter 6 is he has this glimpse of the kingdom of God. And there's these angels and the seraphim that are gathered around the throne of God and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You jump to Revelation chapter 4 and John has the same idea, the, the same glimpse of the kingdom of God. And all gathered around the the throne of God is these angels and the seraphim who are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're not saying love, love, love. They're not saying mercy, mercy, mercy. They're not saying kind, kind, kind. No, what are they saying? They're saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The single greatest distinction of God that there is. He is completely holy. There is no sin in him whatsoever. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and 16. If this is God, if this is him in his, in his holiness, his perfect holiness, what does Peter say? Therefore, by the way, this is a command for the believer, okay? A, a command for the Christian. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Get this. But as he who called you is holy, as God who has called you out, who has brought you into a relationship with him, as God who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That is God's will. That is his command for his children. As I am holy, God says, you be holy. So let's come back to this beatitude. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And what in the world does it mean to be pure in heart? I'll tell you, just the very simple answer is it means to be holy. Some translations of the Bible actually, instead of pure in heart, they say, blessed are the holy. It's really the same idea there, okay? So if I used pure in heart and, and holy, I'm going to probably do it interchangeably here, okay? Blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the holy, for they shall see God. Let's talk first about the meaning of heart. The meaning of heart. What in the world is God talking about heart here? What does that mean? Well, it's talking about the core of a person. The very core of who you are. That's, what, that's what's being talked about here. Anytime the Bible talks about the, the heart, it's talking about the mind and the emotions and the will of a person. Okay? The mind, emotions, and the will. 
It's, it's who you are. And, and, and then what you do is a reflection of the heart. So if the mind and the emotions and the will of a person is perverted, then the actions that come out of the person are going to be perverted. Okay? If the mind and the emotions and the will of a person is holy, then what comes out of the person is holy actions. What's on the inside always comes out. You get that? It's not what's on the outside goes in. It's what's on the inside goes out. Always. The heart is, is, is who you are. The New King James Version of the Bible, um, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, says that as a man thinks in his heart, so as he is in his heart, so is he. What's on the inside will come out. I can't say that enough. What's on the inside will come out. If you're not pure in heart, it will come out. So in short, in short, the heart is what you think about. It's what you dwell on. It's how you respond to the people around you. It's your initial response to both good and bad circumstances. It's who you are. That's the heart. All right, what about the word pure? What's the, what's the meaning of pure here? There's really three different ideas, and on your handout as you're taking notes here, you can just kind of write off on the side these three different things. Purity refers to, first of all, cleansing. It refers to cleansing. A pure heart is a clean heart. Psalm 51, uh, verse 10, David prayed that God would create in him a clean heart. Before this, David had a dirty heart. He had been in sin. And so his, his prayer is, God, would you create in me a clean heart? Yesterday, um, I was working outside in the yard, and uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but when, when you work outside, I get dirty. I don't mind getting my clothes dirty, because I know they can be washed, right? Uh, so I'm working outside in the yard, and I, and I get good and dirty, and, and, and I'm, I'm, about to, I'm not even inside yet. And Hillary says, hey, those clothes are getting washed as soon as they come inside. And so the clothes got washed. So they went from, from being dirty to being cleaned, okay? That's the same idea here with the heart. The purity, it has to be cleaned. Our hearts are dirty with sin, and God is the one who can clean our hearts. Pure, pure here also refers to integrity. Integrity. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 21 and 24. He says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. No one can serve two masters, verse 24, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, Jesus here uses the example of money, but there's the idea that the heart that is pure is single-mindedly devoted to one thing. It's devoted to God. That's a heart of integrity. You know, a lot of times we kind of limit integrity to just um, to being honest, to only being honest, right? But another meaning of integrity is that it is undivided. It is firm. It is solid. It, it's not double-minded. So pure here refers to cleansing. It refers to integrity, but it also refers to the motives of a person, to the motives of a person. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 21 where David is captured by the, uh, the Philistines. And, in order, and instead of trusting God with his life, he takes matters into his own hands and he acts like he's a crazy man. Uh, he's, he's making marks, scratching all over the, the door of his cell. Um, he's drooling all over himself. And the, the Philistines think he's absolutely insane. And so they turn him loose. But then you get to 1 Samuel 22 and, and you find David hiding away in a cave. The connotation there is that he's hiding in shame because of what he's done. He took matters into his own hands. He didn't trust God to take care of him. 
It's not long after that that he writes Psalm 57, in which he tells the Lord that he will not be a double-minded person anymore. Verse 7 of Psalm 57 says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. In other words, my motives will be pure from here on, Lord. I'll trust you rather than trusting myself. I'll praise you alone. So what does it mean to be pure in heart, as Jesus says in this, in this beatitude? Well, there's this idea of cleansing. There's the idea of integrity and motives. All right, so then we come together with all of that, and, and, and here's what we come up with. Pure in heart is single-minded devotion to God. And where does that single-minded devotion come from? It comes from being spiritually cleansed by salvation through Jesus alone. Your focus in life is tied up in devotion to God. You're not devoted to yourself and to the things that this world can offer you. You are devoted to God alone. And you don't do this so that you can earn salvation. You're devoted to him because of salvation has already been gained. You've already been given the salvation. But now that you're a Christian, you are set apart. You're pursuing a holy lifestyle that lives up to the identity that you now have as a Christian. So if Jesus is saying that it's important to be pure in heart, how can I be pure in heart? Because that's what he's saying. He's saying, blessed are those who are pure in heart. It's important for you to be pure in heart. So how can I be pure in heart? There's three things. First of all, admit that you can't be pure in heart on your own. You cannot be pure in heart by yourself. Proverbs 20, verse 9, who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. It's a rhetorical question there. You can't make your own heart clean. It has to be done by you or for you by someone who's much greater than you. Romans chapter 9, uh, chapters 9, 10, 11, 8, 9, 10, and 11. There we go. I got it right now. Those chapters break down the fact that salvation is not by works. It's only through faith. So first of all, admit that you can't be pure in heart on your own. There's no way that you can do it. Secondly, place your faith in Jesus for salvation. Place your faith in Jesus for salvation. There's a hymn that speaks directly to this, and it's written by Robert Lowry back in 1876, and it says this, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can my sin erase. This is all my hope and peace. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Sing it with me. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other founts I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is nothing but the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross that can provide salvation. Nothing. There's no work, no good life, no good deed. Nothing can save except for Jesus. Faith in Jesus alone provides salvation. You cannot be pure in heart. You cannot be pure in heart. And you cannot ultimately see God unless your faith is in Jesus for salvation. 
But then once we place our faith in Jesus, we're not perfect. So as I strive to live a holy life while I'm here on this sin-cursed earth, what do I do? I read my Bible and I pray. I read my Bible and I pray. In John chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus says that the Word of God purifies us. The Word of God purifies us. That means that the more Bible we take in, the more like Christ, the more holy we are going to live our lives. And when we pray, we're connecting our hearts with the heart of God. So as Christians, we can, bro- we can boldly approach the throne of God with confidence, kind of like a child would come with, to their parent, right? That's how we can come to God in prayer. So as we read the Bible and as we pray, our lives become naturally more holy. But then with each one of the Beatitudes, there's a promise. And the promise here is, they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, as we talk about this idea of, of seeing God, there's, there's really two different meanings, okay? First, when we are pure in heart, we're able to see the heart of God more clearly while we're here on this earth, all right? So think about just while we're on this earth, while we're living this Christian life, as we strive for holiness, we are going to more clearly see God's heart because of our holiness, it wasn't too long ago that somebody came to talk to me and, and they couldn't understand why in the world they're not hearing from God. So first I asked them if they're reading their Bible and praying, and they said, yeah. So then I asked them if they were living a pure life. And all of a sudden it's like a light bulb went off, where they're automatically and, and, and just immediately thinking about some habitual sin that they are in. And they realize they're not hearing from God because there was sin in their life. Folks, why in the world would God show himself to us if we are doing something that flies in the face of his holiness? Why would God show himself to us? Why would we expect to come to church and meet with God if there's habitual conscious sin in our lives? He's not going to meet with you. You're doing nothing but wasting an hour of your day if you come to church expecting God to simply accept your sin and be okay with it and still receive your praise. God, here's my words of praise, but my life, I'm holding on to that. We will not see the heart of God clearly until we repent. Say, God, I want to live a holy life. When we are pure in heart, we're able to see God and his heart more clearly. But also, as we look at this promise of seeing God, we know that only the pure in heart are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the pure in heart will enter the kingdom of heaven. Psalm 24, verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to read part of this, and part of this will be on the screen for you. But here's what it says. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Get this. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. It continues. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Selah. Selah means dwell on this. Think about this. The psalmist is just reiterating what we already see all throughout the Bible. There is no way to God except through his standard of holiness. It's only when we reach that standard of holiness that we can have access to God and eternity with God. And remember the Old Testament, the lamb 
the animal, the perfect animal was sacrificed so that sin could be covered up in a relationship with God had. But in the New Testament, when Jesus comes along, he becomes the sacrifice. He becomes the perfect lamb. And then what happens is once and for all, we have access to God when we repent of our sin and say, God, I am yours. I'm sorry. I know that Jesus is that sacrifice that I so desperately needed. He's that holy sacrifice. So let me ask you, are you holy? Just a simple question. Are you holy? If you've never been given that holy heart by God in the first place, then please come see me afterwards so I can show you what it looks like. But if you're here this morning and, and, and you're a Christian, but you're realizing, you know what? I don't think that I can say I'm pure in heart. I don't think that I can say that I'm a, living a holy life. Then go back to the steps that I outlined for you earlier. Read your Bible and pray and repent of your sin. If there's something in your life that needs to go, then get rid of it. Get some help getting rid of it. Where there is sin, God cannot dwell. So church, let's live holy lives. I want to wrap up with this. Um, just three weeks ago, we, we remembered the 20-year anniversary of September the 11th. And I remember in those days after the attacks, you saw footage of New York City, and it was unlike anything that, that you would have seen before. The live footage that you see of New York City in the, in the few days after 9-11 um, was just dark. The city was completely dark. And it wasn't like that before. If you ever saw a picture or a live shot of, of New York City, everything was lit up, right? It was, it was the city that was lit up all night long. But there was one exception to this blackout, um, actually two exceptions. Right in the middle of, of the city was at the site of the World Trade Centers was these generators with lights where they were trying to find survivors. But then I remember one very specific shot where they panned out over the harbor of New York City, and we saw out there in the harbor the Statue of Liberty, and it was lit up. So everything is dark all around it, but the Statue of Liberty was lit up. It had a different power source than everything else did. So as I'm thinking about this idea of holiness, and I'm thinking about the fact that we live in a, in a world that, that's dark, um, did you know that we are meant to be statues of liberty? Where we live these holy lives and we have this different power source that is our great God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as people who are living in, as the Bible calls it, a, a dark world, they're looking at the light. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? your Father who's in heaven. Hey, church, let's live holy lives so when people see us, they see God. Let's pray. Father, help us to be pure in heart. We know that we can't do it without you. We can try all day long, um, but Father, we come to you and, and ask for, would you help us to have the strength the dedication to read your word and to pray, to repent of sin that comes into our lives, to truly be pure in heart. Father, we want to see you. We want that glimpse of your holiness and your glory and your greatness and what you can do in this world. Oh, Father, help us to see you. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.